This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, time for another edition of Holding Court, everyone. Patrick McEnroe here, and it's usually this time in January every year that I make the trip down under to Melbourne, Australia for the Australian Open. I've been uh, so lucky to go there every year since 1991. So this year is the first year I will not be making the trip with my cohorts at ESPN. Of course, for many years I went as a player since uh, my playing days uh, finished, which was a little bit of a relief because my, my bank account got a lot better once I started getting into broadcasting. Uh, and one of the things I love about going down under is that every year I get to visit my good buddy who's going to join me today on this podcast. And before I even had any idea how famous he is in Australia and around the comedy world uh, for all the things that he's done throughout his unbelievable career in TV, film, satire, live TV in Australia. Every year when I go down under, he welcomes me to his house, his amazing wife, Jane. They've got five beautiful kids to have a, a, a little Shiraz, right, Robbie? A little Shiraz, a little steak on the, little, on the Barbie at your house in Melbourne. And I, I got to tell you, Rob, I'm going to miss that as much as anything else. It's my favorite tournament every year to go down under, and I always look forward to that uh, little time we get to spend together during week number two of the tournament when my schedule is a little bit lighter. So welcome to Holding Court. I appreciate you joining me from down under, and what the hell is happening down there? Well, it's a privilege to be on the on the podcast, Pat. And I must say, it's it's really strange. After I mean, you've been coming over to our house since last century, yep. and uh, <laughs> and each year we <laughs> it's funny not to not have you here this year. Um, and it's a it's a strange. I often say to people, when's the best time to come to Melbourne? And I think it's those two weeks of the Australian Open. I, I think it's you know it's a holiday atmosphere. The 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 tennis complex, which keeps improving year on year, is virtually in the middle of the city. So you don't really need to get a taxi or an Uber. You can walk from your hotel. It's a really wonderful time and, and place to be. It sounds like not too many people, Rob, are walking from their hotel, at least the tennis players at this stage, uh, because of the quarantine issues going on for the 72 players that are in a full 14, in the middle of a full 14-day yeah. lockdown, and then the other players who didn't have anyone test positive on their flights are out, allowed to leave their rooms for five hours. So a lot of us here in our country, and I know you follow especially what's going on in politics here in this country, Rob, you, you and I have had just so many amazing discussions about that over the years, but you know we can't quite grasp when I tell people here in New York where I live, you know, in Australia, everything's normal, everyone. I mean, they're walking, they're going to restaurants, they're walking around, no masks. So how did you do it, yeah. and how is the, the, the fact that these tennis players are coming in from all over the world affecting the mood and the vibe of the Australian public? So first, first thing first is to say that Australia loves this tournament, um, the whole country, not just that town. It rates hugely on TV. It, the first eight pages of every newspaper is Australian tennis coverage. <laughs> I think the players get a shock when they come here and they realise they're the main game in town. Um, and it's LeBron who? Uh, it's, uh, it's tennis. <laughs> right. But yeah. There's, there's, there's a bit of history to when the, when the uh, coronavirus trouble spiked, which was in March, our government sort of threw the kitchen sink at us, both states. We've got about eight states in 
territory. They threw the kitchen sink at it. And just in case, most of it worked. Mm-hmm. And the case numbers plummeted. And across the, the Tasman Sea, New Zealand had a, an even stricter lockdown. And that was in the kitchen sink plus, And that worked as well. And so by about the end of April, it was pretty much zero around the country. Um, but all the standard things, you know, the uh, lockdowns, masks, um, case tracing. Um, and then we started letting people back in from overseas, you know, Australian citizens who need to get back. And so we developed a quarantine system, and that worked in most states. Mm-hmm. But we had severe problems in our state, <clears throat> which is Victoria, where Melbourne is. And it got out of control, and we had a genuine second wave while the rest of the country didn't. And so, literally, they threw three kitchen sinks at us. Mm. And it was four months of lockdown while the rest of the country was pretty much operating as normal. Our borders were shut. It was, it was quite draconian. And there'll be a lot of argument over what did work and what didn't. But anyway, the cases again plummeted. And so, so when the players came in with the tenants and were a little shocked by how, how, <laughs> how serious how they took it, right. But yes, it was, it was, I think they, I think most players were supportive, but I think some players were, were surprised at how vehement the people of Melbourne and Australia were in, 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 in this the hotel lockdown system and the quarantine system. Yeah, because when you, when you say to me, Rob Sitch from Australia, that, uh, you had a huge spike in cases in, in Melbourne, which is, as you said, in this, in the, uh, the biggest city in the state of Victoria in Australia, uh, I mean, that's about as many cases as I had on my block, you know, in the suburbs of New York City. I mean, you know, I think there was 30 cases or something. But so obviously it's a, it's a lot different the way things have gone down here and the way our government has not been able to control uh, this pandemic. So when you talk about some of the draconian measures, you know, particularly sort of closing down, you're talking about closing down the border from Melbourne into other parts of Australia, correct? Total lockdown. So um, it, it's interesting. I think I think both New Zealand and Australia and all of our states realise that a, a, a pretty severe lockdown, mask wearing, and and closing of all indoor gyms and restaurants. Right. I think it's been you know it's, the out states. We're a big country, and so the states almost are like islands. And it became pretty clear what what worked. Uh, I mean, it, it hurt a lot of businesses. And it was pretty tough on a lot of people. Um, but I think everyone learned pretty early that as long as there was the political will, mm-hmm. you could get the case numbers under control pretty quickly. And so in Melbourne now, we've had zero cases for three weeks virtually. Wow. Um, and a- the only cases that come in are from overseas. Unbelievable. So those tennis players. So what's, what, what, are you, what are you sensing from the general population because I said you you've made a career out of being sort of a political satirist um, you know you started your own pr- production company about th- it's almost 30 years now working dog production you've made a few movies that have been very successful you wrote them directed them and I know you work with your your teammates at working dog on a lot of the TV shows that you've done that have been hugely successful frontline the panel uh, and and is, is utopia the most recent one I know you won the Logie award which is the Australian equivalent of an Emmy Award. You've won about, I think, seven or eight of those throughout your career. But is that, is, is that the most recent 
TV show that you've had on on full air in Australia? Yeah, it, it is. It is that, and we we sort of made we came up with this idea that I don't know twenty years ago you never heard the word infrastructure, mm-hmm. um, and now you know people are throwing billions of dollars at bridges and tunnels, and and of course they all sort of blow out or the planning goes wrong, and and it would just seems such a such a sort of a funny subject that it's sort of when smart people go stupid, you know, you sort of, it's very hard to plan and predict these massive projects. And so we thought that that was, you know, I, I, I must admit we're a little concerned when we were pitching an idea of comedy and it's all about, <laughs> it's all about <laughs> infrastructure. Well, you know, you know, we had infrastructure week like all the time with Trump. It just it never happened. We're still waiting for infrastructure week. <laughs> It's like a health plan. I get, yeah, well, yeah, we're we're still away. we're waiting. You know, waiting. It's like Godot. <laughs> what, what 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 was it like watching? Because you sent me a very funny text as we were setting, you know, setting the time up for us to be able to do this with you know you being the next day in Australia and so on. Uh, you know, w- once we get over the 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 I think you said it was the riots and the protests, right, or the up the insurrections. Mm. So when yeah. when, when you when you look at, and I know you, you know, you, every time I come and see you every year, Rob, you talk about, you know, different TV shows that have inspired you that, you know, American shows. I think, I think you've inspired, quite honestly, a lot of American shows, particularly when I look at what you did with the panel and Frontline, which were, you know, kind of political. It was some, often, wasn't one of them live to air all the time? Which yeah, were, what, yeah, and that, was, that and that was like a political satire show, right? And now you have that; it's all over the place in the U.S. Anyway, what do, what were you making of what you were seeing happening in our country here? Because I know you pay close attention. Well, it's probably worth saying that Australians are. I mean, you've experienced this every year. Australians are very fond of America. They're very fond of American culture, and sports, and they're quite admiring of the republic. You know the. Um, you know, get into civics too much, but you know, it's the traditions and norms and the. I took my kids to Washington last year. Mm-hmm. On this very day, on this very day, I stood in front of the the Bill of Rights and you know that wonderful archive building in Washington. Right. And, you know, just just to see it, you know, t- nearly two hundred fifty year old, such a clever document. And so, when when it kind of the the rumblings of insurrection raised. I think Australia just looked on and shook their head and said, what are you even, what are you guys doing? This is, you're playing with fire with this thing, with something that's so amazing. Now, when you, when you look at it from your perspective, okay, and, and, I mean, can you imagine if you were making your own television show? Because I know I've seen a lot of your impersonations over the years. You did a great impersonation of, of, of Ross Perot, who a lot of people wouldn't even probably remember this country. Bill Clinton, okay, you did a great Clinton. But a lot of a lot of political people in Australia that obviously people here wouldn't know about. But who who would you be the person you would most like to impersonate from American politics right now? Well, I, you can't say about Donald Trump. It's because his his <laughs> his, uh, his cadence and his use of words and pauses is, and there's some absolutely wonderful um, impersonators in America, but his just use of you remember when he hosted a winning American sports team and there was a shutdown and so they ordered in McDonald's or something. Right, it was like I think it was and a college goes, you know, college football team, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> it said, 
said we have burgers, chicks, many, many fries. <laughs> oh, the greatest the fries, the greatest fries. <laughs> Every when he, when he pardoned the turkey, this is one lucky turkey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I knew I, I, so usually, I, usually I yeah, keep, keep going, please. Well, I can say that the joke in that sense that is on is on us because for uh, for uh, personal reasons that, that you know we weren't going to host the Christmas dinner this year, and I <laughs> and I said, what's the lowest amount of effort we can go to to still get our family together and have a really enjoyable? And I said, why don't we do what Donald Trump did with the with that sporting thing at the at the White House? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so we recreated the <laughs> we recreated the fast food celebratory banquet um, <laughs> via a drive-through, and 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 our kids thought it was the greatest Christmas that <laughs> oh. ever experienced. Your five your five children they range in age what with their early teens now up until you have uh, some that are even past their yeah. teenage years, right? Yeah, well, I've got a I've got a my daughter is. Uh, Got her own license and drive the car, and um, and and so yeah, so they. Um, but the uh, we were just talking about this the other day. They they find new ways to to make you stress. Right, right. Oh God, that must have been. I hope you have some of that on video. You, I'm sure it's not for publication, but some of that the the drive through picking up the burgers. I'll, I'll send you a when we're off air. I'll send you a couple of photos. Oh my goodness! <laughs> now, as I said, our burgers, shakes, and many many times. Now, one of one of the memories I have of you, Rob, uh, in when you when you came over here was when one of your movies uh, got picked up by one of the big American companies. I, b- I believe it was the first one you did, The Castle, right? Was it The Castle yeah, or yeah. The Dead? Yeah, there's a castle. No, it's, it's The Castle. It yeah, picked what, up by Miramax. Picked up by Miramax, and it was Harvey Weinstein, of course, who uh, at that time wasn't in jail. Um, but I remember you and you, you and she wasn't your wife at the time, but you guys have been together forever. Jane Kennedy, the, the, now you're, you guys are actually married now, right? No, you're not. In our country, there's, there's no defense. There's no, okay. So, but basically, you know what I'm saying? Basically, I mean, Jane yeah. is by the way, uh, an incredible talent herself and has been part of your team forever. She's had her own radio show for the last couple of years in Australia, and I've been lucky enough to be on that. And she's also an, just a ridiculous cook. So I, I'm going to miss that. Uh, your Shiraz and her you know, beef that she makes or puts on the Barbie, whatever she comes up with, is phenomenal. So anyway, you come at one point, I think it was in the middle of winter, if I remember correctly, because you invited me to one of the, uh, the viewings of the movie, the castle to go to some uh, like uh, theater in New Jersey somewhere. I think it was, and and it was, and that's kind of what what you, where you like test out the movie. Is that what happens? And Harvey Weinstein yeah. actually came yeah. to that. So, what do you remember yeah. about that whole experience? Look, it's it, it's it's funny. We I mean, something as simple as acting, because we grow up with so much British TV and American TV. We we. We, it's almost like it's, it's, it's a. Our brain doesn't even have to work to understand words said in a different accent, and and, but I think that when all of your media is in the American accent, 
to hear an Australian accent takes that bit of extra effort. And so that was one of the biggest surprises we had, is the words that we would not even think of being said too quick for people to understand. I almost had to be artificially slowed down or changed mm-hmm. or, you know, and it's, it's funny, it's, it's, it's funny, I was saying this to someone the other day, an Australian can be in a crowd of a thousand people and they can all be talking at the one time, say, you know, overseas. Mm-hmm. And if, if there's one Australian that says one word, <laughs> <laughs> our, e- our ears can pick it up. Right. And if that person is an Australian but they're a New Zealander, we know they're a New Zealander within two or three words. Uh-huh. And it's, it's, I think it's a result of, of, of we're a very big immigrant nation and all we hear is media, most of our media is from elsewhere, um, movies and things like that. And so we're entirely comfortable with that. But we have to be extremely conscious of our accent. Um, and one of the things I notice when I go to America, depending on the state, Often people would, would say, excuse me, when I've said something very, very clearly, and you have to realise that the brain is just catching up with, with a, a really quite a foreign accent in many ways. When, when, you, when you look back at um, <clears throat> how you started out, Rob, because, I mean, your history as an individual is, is, is it's incredible that you were actually, you, you studied to become a doctor, and you actually did practice medicine for a short period of time. And I know you, you sort of had gotten into acting a little bit, that side of it. Um, and then the, the way you and I met was that actually you went to Harvard to business school there. Um, and I believe like midway through while you were in school, you said like, I'm out of here. That's how we, we had a mutual friend, one of my best friends growing up. And, and mm-hmm. you and him became friends. So that's how sort of you and I connected over the years. So what would, tell me a little bit about, about the medicine part and then about that trip to Harvard and what made you say, you know what, I'm, I, I'm out of here. Uh, that, was, that was sort of family circumstances mm-hmm. in the end. It's that, you know, I think everyone, most people had a parent and I had two. And, um, but I did, I did, I did medicine. I, I, um, no one in my family was, had studied anything to do with the biological sciences. And I thought, gee, that's interesting. You know, it struck me as being something quite different. And, but the first time I looked down the microscope, I was shocked that you could actually see a cell. (laughs) 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 Right. (laughs) And then I, I, we have direct entry in, in, uh, less so now, but we don't have to do a degree and then go to medical school. I, you know, I was 17 and I went straight into the Royal Melbourne um, medical stream and and really enjoyed it and really enjoyed the people. Um, but then somewhere along the way, I, I thought, God, I've never, I've never tried acting and I, I might just try out for this uh, this small college play that just about everyone who auditioned for got in. And I was one of the people who didn't get in. I think tw- 27 people auditioned and 25 got in and I didn't. Yeah, right. You're one of the two. I thought, yeah, one of the two. So I thought, geez, I better back up and try that again next year. And I got in, but I my role was there was a Thornton Wilder had a play called Our Sound in America play with you, and it required sound effects. And I was the guy that was doing the sound effects on the chair at the back, like the, like even 
like like in the old like in the old, like in the old radio shows when they had to come up with like you know yeah. scratching yeah. stuff. Right. Okay. So I feel like <clears throat> I feel like they they can feel that my audition was up to scratch again, and and a mate of mine who was also in medicine at the role of the undertaker and he said it was so poor he's leaving the play and I got that <laughs> <laughs> and and I really loved the process and then as he was walking out he said um, <clears throat> he said um, I'm going to tie up this comedy review why don't you come with me and that's how it started and so we just did you know a, a sort of like Second City and Sketch right. and sort of one, one thing with, you know a lot of I look back and I go, it, it was sliding doors and, and a lot of luck. Um, but we we got the breaks early and and then met up with a lot of similar people that were, most of my friends were doing uh, law, JD, and they weren't really enjoying that. And, and then one thing led to another. And, and then sort of in mid-90s, I, I always wanted to do something postgraduate mm-hmm. and really loved the way that Harvard teaches and you know, it's a bit of a long shot, um, but I guess with my background helps and, and there's a sort of odd bits in, in my Wikipedia entry um, and went and lived in Boston and was hoping to complete it, but two sick parents got in the way and I was, the, you know, the doctor in the family and it took a lot of management. But I, I you know, I just absolutely loved the way it was taught, you know, it's a, they call it the Socratic method, but I... I, you know, the, the classes could have gone three hours, and I wouldn't blink. Right and now, and, and now, when you look back at uh, obviously the, the the numerous films you've done, but I say most of the stuff you've done, Rob, has been in television, as you said, in sketch comedy and writing and creating these types of shows out of out of these ideas. Has that been what has been the most enjoyable to you? I know you've done also you've done a couple of hilarious travel books, which are just unbelievable. Well, but what? But what? What? What is it about the television that you think is it because it's it's it it happens quickly? You can do it sort of on the fly. What is it about that that's seemingly been what's you concentrated on the most throughout your career? Well, I often say this: the light bulb went off. When I saw this is Spinal Tap, the movie, mm-hmm. and I, I looked at the style of their acting and their comedy, and it was almost like I go, "That's me. That's what I love doing. That that absolute deadpan verisimilitude. No one in in it looks like they know that this joke at all." And and it was not that I wanted to send up rock music, but it's just the, the execution and the style of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, had I never seen that film, I'm not sure the light switch would have gone off and said that. But in my head, I went, "Oh, that's that's what I truly love." And so we've done a lot of series. <clears throat> we sort of we were fortunate. Um, a lot of the technology of cameras improved just when we needed them. So most television shot in studios, and we sort of pioneered taking over office buildings, <clears throat> changing the lighting around, and shooting 360 degrees. So that it, it it looked like a real office because it really was a real office, mm-hmm. and and we use these little light small cameras to create this. People call it like a, a doc, you know mockumentary documentary. Right. But we, it was our style was we never tried to consciously make it look like a documentary. It just looked real, and the number one rule was nobody in the in the show um, 
is aware that something ridiculous is going on. And, and <laughs> right. so we've done maybe three different shows. But as you mentioned, the travel book and, and enjoyment, probably the thing I've enjoyed most in my entire career is I've been working with a couple of friends for you know, nearly 30 years and we all went on a holiday to Portugal together with one of those Michelin guys and they were preparing to be the capital of Europe or some UNESCO thing and, and everywhere we went um, had scaffolding up as they were cleaning these old cathedrals <laughs> and one day one of my friends spread out he goes, oh, the, it's the Church of the Basilica Santa Margarita some of the scaffolding dates back to the 13th century. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we started doing this as a game where we'd wait for people to forget the game right. and then we'd read from the Michelin and then throw in jokes. And 10 years later, the guy that invented that said, um, oh, remember that idea I had of writing a travel book to a country that doesn't exist? And the other <laughs> two of us went, no, you, did, you didn't say that to us. Right. That's right. the best idea we've ever heard. And so people will be shocked, but we invented a country in Eastern Europe called Mulvania right. and wrote 300 pages of a travel guide with hotel restaurants. <laughs> and, <laughs> so you were, you, were, you, were Borat, you were Borat before Borat? Right. Basically, yeah. Yeah, a lot of similar sensibilities. Mm -hmm. But it got, it got translated into German. And it became a top 10 bestseller in German because this wonderful translator was able to capture the humor. Right. And then after that, it got translated into 30 languages um, and it was published in America, Britain. And then we did, uh, we did two more countries. Um, Viva San Sombrero, which was sort of a Central American country. We tried to pick places when if you looked at the map, you, you, could, you, can, you don't know where Costa Rica is in Guatemala. You know, you, <laughs> right. So we, Nicaragua. We yeah. in an extra, right. Yeah. And then there was fake tan, right? It, fake tan was yeah. the, um, <clears throat> there was a, that was the, uh, the capital city of Bumper to Bumper, which, um, <laughs> and the, 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 the hospital has a statue to the only man who's ever suffered from constipation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Oh, that's just so too I, much. Now, now, where, where, where can good old-fashioned Americans find your shows? Because one of the things I always get educated by you, Rob, when I come, when when I come to your house and when I see you, we get together during the Australian Open. You always say, "Patrick, have you seen this?" And I'm like, "I'm I'm so oblivious. I'm like, no. What are you talking about? Because, oh, it's the best show. It's in you know a new show on Netflix or Amazon. And you you always are. I mean, obviously, it's your business, so you're it's a cutting edge. But first of all, tell me where we can find where can I find your shows if uh, online? Can I go to? Is, are you on Netflix? Are you on Amazon? Where are some of your shows at? I mean, Utopia. I saw a few clips on YouTube. And uh, hilarious. So it's hard because we get you, you'll get geo-blocked in most of it. Mm -hmm. the, the, one of the big networks here is like your NPR, PBS, called Australian Broadcasting Corporation, ABC. Right. You can try that. They, they, had a, they started a streaming service like 15 years ago that almost felt like it led the world. It's absolutely wonderful, but I think it's got geo-blocked. Occasionally our shows come up on, on Netflix, um, Somewhere in between all the period dramas, you, you might find one of our shows. Um, but it, it, I think there's a streaming service. Scan was one of them. YouTube, okay. you can find them. But 
don't be prepared to be geo-blocked. Well, YouTube, I can find a lot of good clips, you know, of the Late Show and, right. yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, of yeah. some of the shows and some of your impersonations. There's a whole thing of Rob Sitch impersonations, which is just absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, and we got a little bit of Trump here. And uh, what about President Biden? What's the, what, before I let you go, and you've given me already a huge amount of time, which I greatly appreciate, what, uh, what do you make of President Biden and sort of what he's bringing? Do you, we, we sort of feel, I think, in this country, like, okay, like, you know, take a breath. You know, I don't need to watch the, the political news every single night now. I could, I could actually maybe start watching some other programming on television because, you know, with Trump, it's like I said to my buddy who works at CNN, I said, well, here's the good news and the bad news. The good news is Trump's gone. The bad news is Trump's gone, like for your ratings, because I'm like, the, you know, I'm, in, I'm interested in politics, but I sort of became more obsessed with politics in the last couple of years. And now I'm like, okay, uh, maybe I could take a breath and like get back to like watching some other stuff. So what's your take on Biden number one? And then I need a couple of great shows because you always give me, since I'm not going to be with you in Australia, give me a couple of great shows I should watch. So Biden seems to represent, you know, the country taking one big, deep breath. You know. But what's interesting is, is we always associate White House administrations. When you look at their Wikipedia, they, they topped, you know, Stanford Law School and then, you know, ambassadors of 47 countries and then negotiated a nuclear arms agreement. And then they were tapped to be a second level, you know, Deputy Secretary, so, and that's our in, that's our image of White House administration, right? And in the sort of the last sort of six months of the Trump administration, it was it, it feels like the bar got lowered a bit, <laughs> just a touch, huh? <laughs> just a touch. So I I think the I think I think the Biden, even the first week of Biden, it's it's the image that. You know, Australians associate with America. It's sort of, you know, you've got you've got still got a lot to argue about. But like we got like 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 we got our we got our shit together. We got our problems, but for the most part, we 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 kind of got our shit together. Even though there's obviously a lot of issues. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Ron Klain is chief of staff, but you go back. He, he led the Ebola, <laughs> right? You know, Biden led the reconstruction after the um, global financial crisis. Right. It's sort of. I know, I know the Washington Parks get a bad rap occasionally, but I think nobody does that administration experience like the Americans. All right, and tell me what I need to watch. What's a, what's a, a good new show? Because when I did watch Utopia, by the way, it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of one, of one of my favorite shows, and I know my daughter's favorite show, the 14-year-old, uh, The Office. You know, which of course was a classic. Yeah. It's got yeah. a little bit of that deadpan stuff in it. But so, what do you, what do you, what are you watching now? We. We got hooked. This, you know, this again might take a bit of effort. There's a French program called Le Bureau. Okay. And you know when you recommend shows to people, you know you you, you know shit's creek. You know you got to stick with it for the first. You know everyone everyone comes and goes from these shows. Richard, someone will watch it and go off to the next episode, and then two episodes later says, I, I think I'm over Richard the England. But Le Bureau is is a French series about their CIA and mm. NSA. Okay, interesting. And I've recommended it to a dozen people, and my strike rate is 100%. Everyone, wow. Everyone's gone through three years. It's absolutely brilliant. The, the Bureau. And is it on Netflix, or where is it at? 
Well, I mean, we don't know. I think it might take a Google, Google search. We, we right. got it on one of our catch up programs here, but I think I saw it in a top 10 in, in the New York Times. Someone said they're top 10 of the year. So I think it's accessible. Well, uh, I'm going to miss our chats, Rob, and uh, it's it's bittersweet. You know, it, it's it's awesome you were able to make a little time and talk to me now. You know, we'll stay in touch during the Australian Open when it actually starts in about two. But I will be, Rob, just so you know, in beautiful Bristol, Connecticut, which is the home of ESPN, <laughs> and I will be freezing my ass off. It's a, The good news, it's only about an hour and a half from where I live in New York, um, and I will be on, we will be on the air during like, we're always on the air all day in Australia. The only problem is that it'll be about 8 PM here until approximately six to 7 AM Australia time. So, you know what, it's, as a, as you're technically a dual citizen after all these years, um, for those that don't know, Pat is loved in Melbourne and by all our big sports casters because he's. You're sort of an adopted son of the town and the and the event, and and over the years, I must say, you talk about impersonations and accents. You do a pretty mean Australian accent when you just just and this is just going to be for me, okay? Because uh, most of my fans who listen, the Australian fans will know, um, he's one of the great broadcasters. He's sort of like the Bob Costas of Australia, and he's done. He does all the Olympics. He does. Uh, I think he yeah. does football, and he, he's but he did the tennis for many many years. He's just a sweetheart of a guy, and I want to hear as we say goodbye, uh, Rob. I'm going to put you on the spot. I need a little Bruce McAvaney impersonation, please. Give me a little. Give me a little. What's going to happen at the tennis 2021 Australian Open in the words of Bruce McAvaney? Well, what he does is he he starts a sentence, and then when he gets Truly excited, he drops way down in his vocal register. So he'll say, "There he is, the champion, the king." No, no, not going to be. How good is he? Uh, I used to see him on the bike every morning. He'd be in there at like five thirty. And well, if when I had jet lag, once I got over the jet lag, I wouldn't be up that early. He's Bruce on the bike, killing it, and then he's. Uh, on the air hours later, and your impersonation of him from, I think it was the Olympics, uh, was just... Yes, it was, it was yeah. uh, Olympics. In fact, a, a friend of mine loved his call so much. He's learned by heart the 400-meter final from the Sydney Olympics between Cathy Freeman, and it, it, he, he, he learned the entire... <laughs> I love how you kept interrupting the guy when he kept trying to talk and you'd keep interrupting because you just keep on talking. Listen, you uh, enjoy yourself. Again, thank you so much. Give my best to Jane and to your five beautiful kids and the dogs who are always uh, welcoming me into your house. And uh, hopefully I'll see you in a, just about a year from now. 2022, uh, lovely to speak to you. You got it, my man. That's Rob Sitch, everyone, one of the great comedians, writers, directors in the history of Australian arts and television. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. Mudhouse Media.